Hello and welcome to Podcast on Purpose. This is your host, Debbie Adea, and we are going to be having some episodes coming out that are related to International Podcast Day. We did a live stream with a group of stellar podcasters where we shared the journey of podcasting together on September 30th, and we're going to be reposting some of those in audio format here on the podcast for you in case you missed it. If you would also like to go and watch the replay of the videos, you can come on over to the Pod Tribe on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Pod Tribe. Here we go with this episode on Podcast on Purpose. So, hey guys, the next guest that we have is Dog Baron, and we're going to be talking today about his show on International Podcast Day. Dov is twice cited as one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers to hire. Also cited in the meeting event professional's guide to the top 100 motivational speakers and named as one of the top 30 global leadership gurus. Dov is a man with a finger on the pulse of the evolving world of next-gen leadership. He is a best-selling author of several books. His latest book is Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. He is the host of the national U.S. TV show, Pursuing Deep Greatness with Dov Barron uh, on Roku TV, and the host of the number one podcast for Fortune 500 listeners globally. Dov Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show on iTunes is also carried on FM and AM radio stations across the U.S. He also writes for and has been featured in many industry magazines, including being featured on CNN, CBS, Small Business Pulse, and a whole host of others. Uh, he has been speaking internationally for over 30 years, and he is just an extraordinary human, and I'm, I just adore him. I'm really excited to share him with you on the show today. So welcome to the show, Dov. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. I always I love talking you. to you. We're, you I and know. I always have such great combos. Every time I connect with you, I'm always so inspired. So I just am really Thank excited you. to have this conversation today. So, uh, so I'd love to start off. I know you, you probably tell this story a million gazillion times, but it's so extraordinary. So hopefully you're not too tired of telling it. But um, <laughs> if you could talk a little bit about your story of falling from the cliff. I'd, I'd sure. love to talk about that. Well, you know, uh, there are these pivotal moments in people's lives and we've all had them. And sometimes they come in the form of a, a divorce or a bankruptcy or a horrible diagnosis or the loss of a loved one. There are these moments that stop us in our tracks and they are what I call pivotal moments. Um, they stop us in our tracks and most people will say, uh, well, you know, that's where my life changed. Or people will look into that and say, well, that must have been where your life changed. It's actually not. And, and I'll tell you why. In June 1990, I was very successful um, speaking all around the world. I was already doing extremely well. Probably the best I'd done in my life up until that point, And I'd already owned businesses on three continents. But uh, I came home pretty exhausted. My manager who ran my speaking said, you got to take a few days off. I took a few days off and went to a place called Whistler that some people will be familiar with. It's up by, uh, it's up in British Columbia where the 2010 Olympics were. We went up there, gorgeous sunny day in June, absolutely beautiful. And after a, a really nice morning, decided to go for a hike to a place called Brandywine Falls, which is this gorgeous majestic waterfall that comes off the glacier and streams down and twists and turns and picks up speed and then it just dives off this cliff of 200 feet into pounding water below it's just magnificently beautiful and my buddy and i went there and being adrenaline junkies instead of staying on the upper level and looking at it 
uh, we said, let's see if we can sneak down. And we did. We hiked down and we, so, and then we, I said, let's see if we can get behind the waterfall. Cause there's a, there's a gap behind a waterfall that's not very big, but if you can get behind there, it's pretty exciting. So we fought the 70 mile an hour wind across wet, mossy rocks and got behind it. When I came out on the other side, I felt like freaking Superman. I felt, yeah, I can do anything because <laughs> I was an idiot. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that's a technical term. I'm not sure about that. Uh, so I came out of there and, uh, and I said to my mate, uh, by the way, I'm soaking wet and, and I'm not dressed appropriately. And I said to my mate, let's not hike back. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? Take the elevator? Like, you know, of course, he's joking. And I said, no, let's climb the face. Now, if you know anything about rock climbing, you know that that can be dangerous, but it's not you know, safety lines and harnesses and all kinds of cool stuff. And in free climbing, you might know it's a bit crazier because you don't have the safety lines, but you have the right shoes and you have the right equipment. That's not bad. But free climbing while you're soaking wet with nothing is just dumb. <laughs> and guess what? Technical term again. <laughs> Technical term again. And guess what? I was about to be the king of dummies. So I began to climb, and at about 120 feet, which is about 12 stories, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that, bam, hit me in the face and set me hurtling down at maximum velocity onto the boulders below. Not rocks, not gravel, not grass, but boulders, and I was smashed to pieces. Um, I was with a buddy, so you know, obviously I wasn't there alone, and uh, the gory details don't need to be gone into. Um, but somehow, uh, miraculously, I was able to get out of there um, and went through at that initial stage five reconstructive surgeries. I think I've had 12 now. But uh, during that process, died several times. And again, this is the moment that where people go, your life must have changed at that moment. But it doesn't. It, it embedded me deeper in my ego. It made me feel like more and more about... Uh, you know, when people would say to me, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm great, you know, with my jaw wired closed. And I'd say that because I couldn't admit that I wasn't great. I was shitty. I was feeling terrible. I was depressed, darkly depressed. I was ragefully angry, but I wasn't going to admit that because I was a leader. I'd been a martial artist. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a ghetto kid. You know, I was not going to let that shit get me down, but it was, it was killing me. And I'd go out for occasion with my mates and we'd have these nights out and I just, I didn't know how to laugh. And I thought, Oh my God, I've lost that. And then on one particular night I went out and felt like I laughed and I thought, Oh my, you know, I can come back. And it was that moment. That was the moment, not the fall. That was the moment because it all felt like it could go back to normal. And I remember saying my life can go back to normal. Now I started to laugh again. And I was in a great mood and I opened the door to my kitchen from the back and the light uh, shut across the floor and across the floor was festooned garbage. It was kitty litter, empty cans, meat wrappers. It smelled horrible. I knew exactly who the culprit was. And I went from, from feeling joy and fulfillment and possibility to feeling rage. And I went looking for the culprit. And when I found the culprit, the culprit was curled up nice and comfy on the couch. And I lifted my hands to strike and stop myself, because that's not who I am. Stop myself from hitting the cat and picked it up in my arms. And it was dead. It was cold. And I fell to my knees. 
Mm. And I began to not cry, but weep. I mean, you know, that <gasps> sobbing for a cat I didn't even like. I didn't like this cat. The cat drove me mad. It wasn't my cat. And I just, and I said, you know, it didn't take me more than a couple of minutes to realize, why am I sobbing for this cat I didn't even like? And I realized I was not sobbing for the cat. I was sobbing for the life I'd had that was now dead. I actually finally stepped into the full-blown grief that I, where my life had to turn around and I had to change, that I couldn't keep going on the ego path I was on. Even though it was bringing me success, the question was, what is success beyond success? What is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And that was actually the moment when my life changed. So it's, there's a pivotal moment in our lives where shit happens, <laughs> but the choice point is actually where things can go back to normal but you choose not to. And that's a very hard choice because normal is way easier. You're familiar with it, but you are literally going to step off into the darkness and you know, you don't know whether you'll be eaten alive or whether you'll fly. That was the, that was the transformation of me. So that's, that's the reader's digest, believe it or not, version of that story. It's such a powerful story. Did you find that you had like leading up to kind of the, the rock slipping moment, were there other signs for you that it was time to let go of that ego part of your journey? Or was that like, oh, you know, yes. were there- <laughs> that's, that's why you said we learn from our mistakes. <laughs> that's yeah. That was my fourth fall. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. I fell off Bluff Knoll in Western Australia. I fell 70 feet down a shale mountain and tumbled all the way down. Got to the bottom, looked like, you know, I'd been beat up by 20 guys. That wow. was the first. And there was two more in between that was much smaller. Um, and, one example is when I came, when I first moved to, uh, to the West coast here and I was living here and I was like, you know, I'm going to take some time off and just figure it out and don't know if I'm going to do what I've been doing, which was already been speaking. And I went and got a job on a construction site. Not a good job for me. <laughs> but when it comes to handyman, if you have a sock that you put over your hand and go like this, that would be a better handyman than me. I can't put <laughs> bang two pieces of wood together with a nail. But I got a job at, at, on a construction site, and um, I was up on the high scaffold drilling into a beam. Now, my hair used to be down here, down to my chest. That was long know, as mine. No. Well, probably. Not, not far <laughs> off. But my hair is ringlet curls. And so I'm up on this, this, this scaffold with a hard hat on and my hair in a ponytail, and I'm drilling into this high beam, and the wind whipped my hair around into the, into the drill, and pulled me up. Oh my God. Right. And in the process, I kicked the scaffold away from underneath me. So I'm literally dangling by my hair. I've got one foot touching the other scaffold. But if I come off this, I'm going to fall. So I'm stuck, you know, and, and it, you know, it looked like a billiard ball inside of my head was pulled out of hair. And uh, I remember going home and writing in my journal, this is a sign. And I actually read it to my wife 10 years later, because I didn't know her at that time, 10 years later and saying, you know, she says, well, didn't you know? Yeah. And I read this piece and I had a little Ziploc bag with that piece of hair in it. Wow. That's how clear it was. This is a sign. I don't know what it is, but I know it's got something to do with my ego. And then I ignored it the next day, right back to doing the same old stuff. Because we don't get it until we get it. Right, So human beings don't learn from their mistakes unless they're consciously committed to learning from their mistakes, not in the moment, but after. Mm. Like I said, there's a, there's a pivotal moment, 
there's a choice moment. So the next day when it could go back to normal and I could laugh about it, oh, okay, well, I was going back to normal. So you had lots of pivotal moments, but just oh. one choice moment that you made. Yeah. That, yeah, that's amazing. So what was your choice moment and to step into doing podcasting? Like what had you step into sharing this in a podcast platform? <clears throat> well, that was far less exciting. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't um, have to fall off any rock faces for it, no, hopefully. <laughs> no, I was doing uh, doing my thing. I had workshops, and as you know, I had a, a seminar company for public seminars, and and uh, one of my students who became a friend said to me, uh, why don't you do a podcast? I'm like, what the hell is a podcast? This is 11 years ago, right? So what the hell is a podcast? And he goes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, no, no, mate, Scott, I don't need another job, mate. I've got plenty going on. He's like, no, no, I'll do it. And I go, what do you mean you'll do it? He goes, I'll come to your office and I'll interview you for 20 minutes every Monday morning, and that'll be the podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that, no problem. So that's what we did for about six months, and then Scott got busy doing the things he's he's gone on to do, and he's done some very exciting things. And so I'm left now going, okay, it's Monday. (laughs) already set the time ahead. Okay, I'll record something. So I did. I recorded it, put it up, and it continued from there. Um, then it got to, uh, thinking, Oh, I could probably, uh, I could probably ask some of my friends if they want to do it. And so I did it with them and the podcast started to grow as the podcast started to grow. It was, it was back in those days. It was called the, my mastery podcast. As it started to grow, um, there was a radio station in Chicago and a radio station in Seattle who said, do you want to have a show? And I said, yes. And it became a one hour radio show that I loved. I loved doing it because there's a part of me that's a journalist. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm very political and very you know, well-researched and stuff. And so I did shows on the stuff that I'm really interested in. So I did shows on uh, uh, peace in the Middle East and uh, where Israel behaves like apartheid and uh, why the Palestinians are, uh, you know, pooping in their own backyard. I mean, you know, like I was not on one side. I was on both sides. I did the political stuff on it. I did the research. I did a show on the efficacy of doing business with China when they still have um, killing vans where they actually will go out, take people, put them in the vans, and they execute them in the van with a needle and then drive them off and, 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 and take away their organs. You know, and I said, this is not, you, you may not know this, but this is, common knowledge if you're part of that world. I'm well-researched, I know that stuff. You know, the fastest growing religion in China is Christianity. It will be the new center of Christianity. People are like, what? So I did that kind of research, loved it, loved it. Sat down with my mentor one day, my business mentor. My business mentor said, how's it going? Well, you know, things are going good, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? I talked about the show. And he said, oh, great. He says, what does it cost you? So I said, uh, you know, and I worked out what it was. It was costing me about, I think, a couple of grand a month, you know, for everything to to go out for the shows and all the promotions, etc. He goes, okay. And he said, uh, how many hours he's spending on the show for an hour? And I didn't want to tell him because <laughs> <laughs> like, it was sixteen yeah. hours. What? Oh my gosh! Sixteen hours a week mm. for my show. About sixteen hours of research a week for the show. And he just looked at me and he said, um. You have, you know, what's your hourly rate? I told him and he said, okay. So he said, it's very simple. Are you making money from this? And I said, no. And he said, it's okay. You just have a very expensive hobby. He goes, you know, you could take up yachting. It'd probably be cheaper, um, but you have a very expensive hobby. And if you want to keep a very expensive hobby, then go ahead. 
but you got to know that's what it is. Like you got to have the reality check here because I'm not telling you to stop doing it. And he said, so you got to think about that. So I thought about it and I went, you know, he's obviously very right. And it was actually hindering my business, uh, but I did love it and I didn't want to give it up. So what I did was I gave up the radio show, went back to podcasting, which didn't restrict me because now I, in that time I couldn't take any shows. I couldn't be speaking anywhere on a Friday at 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. which meant that any Friday stuff was out or any Thursday stuff because I'd have to fly back Friday. I'd miss my own show. So it, it made my income come back and I went, okay, so that's what I had to do. So we went back to the podcasting and that's how that, the leadership and loyalty show became the focus again. And you tied that in because of what you were doing then. Is that how you chose the, cause you'd had the seminar company obviously, which seems like the auto- automatic transition to the original concept for the show. Yes, exactly. And then, and so how did you make that transition? Um, well, the transition was, was made uh, first of all, pretty subtly um, because um, there was a, I mean, a lot of the shows that I spoke about, even on the radio show were talking about how we look at leaders for, to fix us and to make things right. And how we, you know, I'm very much about the people's revolution, meaning what that means is you have to take responsibility for being the leader of your life. Or as I like to say, uh, put your hand, I'll, I'll be at an event and I'm speaking and I'll say, put your hand up if you see yourself as a leader, you know, and maybe 50% of the room, maybe it's a bit better now than it used to be. Uh, you know, so let's say 50% of the room and I go, well, what about the rest of you? Are you a leader and, and you know, nothing okay? And I'll just let's take the microphone out to a few people who said no. You're a leader, no, no, no. Tell me why. Well, I don't have a role. I don't have a I don't have a title. So you think leadership is a title? And I said, Can I ask you one simple question of everybody who didn't put their hand up and they go, What's that? Are you leading your life? Because if you're not leading your life, you're right, you're 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 not a leader. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're not leading your life, and I'll accept that. Maybe you're just letting somebody else lead your life. Maybe you're, you're following everybody else's orders. Maybe you're stepping in line and never questioning anything. Then you're actually not leading your life. But if you want to empower your own life, you have to lead your own life. That means you have to be a leader. And by the way, if you have children or you have a, uh, a cultural group or you have people that you influence and impact, you're a leader. So that was the automatic lead into it was like, well, we're already talking about leadership and a lot of the shows that were doing very well were talking about what it means to lead at a bigger level and at a personal level. So that was the natural transition and the fact that I'd been speaking about leadership for years already. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you would be doing that. And and so you've actually managed to bring it into your business though now, right? So you've you've managed to turn it around and monetize it, right? It's yes. Your, yeah. What so was that now, transition for you? <clears throat> Hobby to <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah. The transition was again having a mentor who said, uh, "You do know you have one of the biggest, most popular podcasts in the world, right?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 nice guy, a little bit slow sometimes. Um, so I was like, yeah. And he says, well, do you, you know, have you considered making money? Or? Well, no. I mean, podcasters don't make money. And he goes, well, why do you do it? And I, you know, I talked about why I did it. And he said, there's money to be made in this. And he goes, and I said, okay. And I was really uncomfortable with that. It just didn't feel right. And I didn't know how to do it. And I stumbled around it and went around it. And then, of course, there was people who wanted to be sponsors of the show that I'd said no to because they, 
they either were a complete misalignment with what it was that I speak about uh, on the show or off the show, um, or they wanted control, meaning they wanted to direct where the show was going to go. Well, that ain't going to happen. Have you met me? Mm, no. Uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and uh, or they wanted to cheap me out. And I'm like, you know, so those were the three reasons. So I was like, no. Yeah. So here's the thing. I will only allow a sponsor if I'm using the, if it's a product or service, I'm using that product or service genuinely. I'm not using it because you are my sponsor, but because I actually use it. I like it. I love it. Uh, that's one. Or it's something that I deeply believe in. Mm-hmm. So one of the sponsors for the, for the new show is the Awesome Music Project. The Awesome mm-hmm. Music Project is a global movement that is talking about showing how music and mental health are tied together and how we can cure mental health, a lot of mental health issues through music. There's a phenomenal book that just came out that I'm in. It's a beautiful coffee table book that looks like a big old-fashioned vinyl LP, right? And every page inside is like an album cover with with show notes, and the show notes are the story that each one of those. So I'm in it. Uh, Michael Bublé's in it. Um, uh, Sarah McLaughlin's in it. Um, uh, Chris Hadfield from uh, The Astronaut is in it. I mean, there's a lot of very cool people in it. And this is series one, and there's going to be a series of them. But it's raising this awareness for that. Well, guess what? They're a sponsor for my show because I totally believe in what they're doing. I'm totally supportive of it. So, you know, it has to have that for me now. Yeah, and talk, if you would talk a little bit about your new show, because I love what you're creating. I think it's really necessary right now. So, Thank you. Um, yeah, the new show, I mean, I don't know when you're listening to this, but the new show is due for release in January 2020. Maybe you're listening to it now and you can go look for it. It's called Curiosity Bites. Maybe you're listening to it and it's somewhere off in the future. It's still called Curiosity Bites, but you'll have to wait. Um, and the idea of it came out of... Um, as you know, Dev, because you and I have had lots of talks about this, uh, mm-hmm. I think that so, one of the things that is wrong with our society is that we love to shove people in boxes and we say, oh, this is a leadership person who only speaks about leadership. Well, I'm much bigger than that. Debbie, you're much bigger than, than one simple thing, as all of us. We all talk about different things, and, and there are things that we are deeply interested in. I My knowledge is deep. It's wide. I want to talk about more than those subjects, as I talked about with the journalism mm-hmm. thing. Which I love about you. I love right. that about people in my life. Thank in you. General. Yeah. So one of the things that, as a very political person, which I am, um, I can see something that is glaring, and I talked about it in 1989. That's how far back it was. But now it's really coming glaring, and that is the rise of the authoritarian leader. Now, as a leadership guy, I'm talking about uh, flattening the hierarchy. And that we're seeing that in corporations, we're seeing B Corps, we're seeing servant leadership, we're seeing a lot of really great stuff happening in leadership. And yet on the other end of that scale, you're seeing the rise of the authoritarian leader, the right-wing authoritarian leader, whether it's the tropical Trump, who is the president of Brazil, that's his nickname, whether, whether it's uh, the leader of the Philippines, the leader of Hungary, the rising right in France, the rising right in Germany. Uh, there are so many countries, the rising right in Australia, a lot of countries you would never see that. Um, you've got the rising right even in Britain, you know, mm. countries you would never expect to see that. And that for me is pretty freaking scary. 
And it comes out of this polarized thinking. And the polarized thinking is these idiots believe that, right? And that's happening on both sides. So there are people who are saying these idiots who believe in climate change are just stupid. They're being manipulated by X or Y, and they're using Greta to do it, right? And they genuinely think people who believe in it are idiots. On the other side, there are people who believe in climate change are going, what is wrong with these dumbasses? Can't they see the science? And don't they, why can't they see that? And blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the thing. They're not stupid people. And you know how I know? Because one of the things I studied and spent a long time studying and taught about and were brought in for and did work around it um, with neo-Nazis is I trained in cult psychology. I studied what it takes to indoctrinate somebody into a cult and therefore de-indoctrination. I studied that and did it and I've been part of that. I'm actually speaking uh, at a book launch about that next week here in Vancouver. So one of the things that fascinated me about cults was that we assume you've got to be a dumbass to believe this stuff. Like this is pretty obvious a cult. Why do you believe this? But when you look inside, you find there's PhDs, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's scientists, there's very, very bright, intellectually bright people. So it isn't because they're dumb. That's not what gets people into cults. Now, there's a cult of personality. We call that Donald Trump, right? We call that the Brazilian leader. It's called a cult of personality. But Obama was a cult of personality too. And what people don't realize is that very many who created the swing for Trump were not racist because they voted for Obama. They were people who wanted change, mm. right? And for instance, in my opinion, the Democrat Party are going to shoot themselves in the foot if they put Biden in the position because that's not change. That's look at me, feel good, and let's go back to the Obama days. It won't work. Mm. It won't work at all. They need something new. There's got to be another option. There has to be a third way forward in all that we're doing. And so this, the purpose of the show is to bring a third way of thinking around, which says, I don't necessarily agree with you, but there's more to you than this. So as you and I were talking about, I have the world's number one, most highly paid marketing consultant, internet marketing consultant in the world, verifiable. We are not talking about internet marketing. We're talking about theology. We're talking about religion. We're talking about the Bible. And we're talking about evolution versus and science versus creationism. And we have the most in-depth, powerful conversation. And you go, oh, my God, I, never thought, I would never have thought that about a person. We're talking about, about um, people who are anti-gay or anti-trans. And I want, you know, I'm, and, but they're not going to be talking about that. That's what they talk about, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm going to have anti-climate people on there. I'm going to have climate change people. I'm going to have, I want people talking about what they don't talk about because we need to realize that we all live in a bubble. We used to talk about the Fox bubble and the MSNBC bubble. But what we need to understand is that social media has trained us to all live in our own bubble. You see, the algorithm says, you clicked on that, we'll send you more of that. So you end up thinking the same as, as you've always thought. The dumbest advice you ever got is surround yourself with people who think like you. That's terrible advice. Surround yourself with people who don't think like you so you can think in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. So I click on 
uh, MSNBC, I click on Fox, I click on RT, uh, Russia TV, I click on Al Jazeera, I click on all the things so that I screw with the algorithm and it says, this guy likes all of stuff because then I keep an open mind. Then I'm willing to learn. And that's what I'm trying to do with this show is to get people to open up their mind and say, I don't agree with you on this, but I don't condemn you because I can see there's this other side of you. And I have always loved playing in the gray areas. I love love understanding that we are not defined simply by an opinion that there's much more to us and and when we forget that we forget the humanity and we we other people but that's where the juice is is, is in the magnificence of people some of the most spiritual people i've met are douchebags <laughs> but they can tell you what color your, your chakra is and some of the most <laughs> spiritual people I've met and, and kind and compassionate people you think are right-wing idiots. Mm. So hold on a second. It's not all based on your labeling of other people, but we are, everything in social media has done that to us. And, and I think social media is great. I use it a lot, but we have to be cautious. We need, we need discernment about where we're getting our information from. So that's what the show's about. It's like, let's just pry open the minds and say, what don't I know about this person? So, you know, part of my thing is like, what are your pre presuppositions about this kind of person? And then it'll be like, here's who they are. Now let's cancel all that. Listen to this show. I think it's awesome. I just love it. And I think it's, it's going to be a whole new news source, right? For people to actually learn I how so. to have all of these different places that you go to get perspective. But I do have a question about that. Yeah. So how do you deal with haters that show up? <laughs> because I have a feeling <laughs> you might get a little, I really? know, baby. <laughs> um, you're, I know you're, you've got, uh, you've got just such depth to you and, and sensitivity too. Like you're a very deep person and you also somehow manage to have good boundaries around those things. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Cause I know that can show up with a popular show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it shows up a lot. Um, so I can answer this in two ways. Um, and both are very valid. So one is a piece of wonderful, wonderful advice I got from my friend, Larry Winger. You may know Larry Winger. He's a very famous speaker. He appears on Fox TV quite a lot. Um, and he is a pretty in your face kind of guy. And, uh, I was hanging out with Larry at his house with some other people about, uh, eight, nine years ago. And we were talking about uh, relevance and being relevant and staying relevant, you know, particularly for those of us who are over 35. Right. And so, and, and, and Larry said, yeah, uh, he concerns himself with relevance. He goes, but I know I'm relevant by how much hate mail I get. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I've lost relevance if I don't get, and this is his words. If I don't get at least two death threats a week. Wow. He goes, I'm because I'm relevant then because I don't get this. <laughs> right? Because he, no, but this is for him because he's, you know, he's very yeah, opinionated. No, he's an opinion speaker. And he says, because the point of it is that you have to um, wake people up emotionally. And he's, they may not, he goes, you know, him and I have conversations. I've been on his show a couple of times. He's been on mine a couple of shows. And we always start the show by saying, you know, we're going to disagree on lots of stuff here, but let's get into it. Because I love Larry DeBitz and I know he loves me but we don't agree on a lot of stuff. That's okay. So his, un his understanding is you don't have to agree with me. 
that's not the point. If I'm getting people to agree with me, what I'm creating is a bunch of robots and clones. That's not the point. My point is this, and this is extending out of what Larry said, is as a leader, and by the way, if you're a podcaster, you're a leader. You're having impact and influence. That's what it means to lead. And as a leader, your job is not to build a bigger wall, a wider wall. Your job is to build a narrower wall and then push people off it when they want to stand on that wall. Like, you're with me, you're not. It's okay. And I don't hate you because you're not on my side. You're not the enemy. You're just not on my side of the wall. That's okay. So that's number one. And when I get hate, and I do, you know, and somebody says something vicious and venomous, the first thing I do is I remember my psychological training. And that is that person is attacking me and it's got nothing to do with me. Number one. And number two, if they're attacking me, particularly if they're a keyboard warrior, meaning that, you know, I don't know who they are and I can't go click and say, oh, look at their profile, but they're just going to do this shit. Then I go, wow, what do I know about human beings? We all have egos and we all need to feel significant. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the Dalai Lama or you're Adolf Hitler. We all need to feel noticed. This person is just trying to feel noticed. So how do I respond? I usually respond with, you know what? I realize, because I know how long it takes me to write, I realize it probably took you a good amount of time to write this. So I want to thank you for thinking about what it is that I said. I'm, I'm delighted that it, it uh, engaged you at the level enough that you took the time to write this response. You and I don't have to agree, but I really appreciate that you took the time. Thank you. And I write something like that. That's powerful. Right? Yeah. If I get something venomous back, which can happen. I just don't respond. Hmm. I've already acknowledged you. I've validated you. I don't need to respond to anything else. Well, you're a piece of shit. Okay, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> yeah. I've responded to what I felt was there. I tried to show that person love and compassion and not from some new age hippy dippy or we should all be loving kind of bullshit, but from real human beings need acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be real. and just like, you know what? It's okay. I get that you need your attention. I'm not doing it to, 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 to blow smoke up your ass. It's just simply I recognize and validate that. All right. But I don't have to engage with you after that. That's fine. So how do you deal with people that have different personalities on a show? Like how do you, this is an interesting dynamic. So there's the interviewee mm -hmm. and then the interviewer, and that's a whole yep. dynamic of like figuring out how to have conversation if you're maybe not in full agreement all the time. It's easy with me, you for me because we share a lot of similar, you know, mm -hmm. values and beliefs. Um, but, you know, say I didn't. Like, how do you have those dynamics? And then let's say you bring on maybe more than two people with two personalities and two different opinions. You've got a strong psychology background. What would you say to someone who's trying to manage that too on their show? Well, first of all, um, uh, part of my, the way that I handle that is I have a filter. And the filter is, you don't get on any of my shows without a pre-chat. Mm. So everybody is pre-interviewed. Everybody. And you know I've done thousands of interviews. Yeah. You don't get on my show unless you've had a pre-chat. And I've had some pretty hard hitters who go, oh, you know, I've never done this before. Or nobody usually asks me for this. And, and by the way, sometimes uh, they want to be on my show and I go, well, not without a pre-chat. And they'll go, well, you know, I'm, I'm an A-lister. Okay, well, that's all right. You don't have to have you on the show. Yeah. So, you know, so it's very simple because if you've got the personality of a wet sponge, which some people do, right? 
you're not getting on my show. Yeah. Because what I want is a personality. I want that. So, you know, I, in the early days of my podcasting, when I'm just like everybody else, which is Jesus, I got to get a guest, right? You know, I took people who were awful. Mm. They were awful. And it was my fault, not their fault. A, I was a bad podcaster. And by the way, just so anybody who's listening, you should know 90%, and I think I'm being very kind, 90% of podcasters are shit. They're <laughs> terrible. They should pack it up and go home. Honestly, it's bad. Unless they're going to upgrade their skills. But they think they're good because their mom and their best friend said they're good. That doesn't make you good. You've got to be constantly willing to improve. You've got to get better. Go listen to somebody who is really good. And by the way, just on the other end of that scale, just so you know, there are some very popular people who are also crap. So it's not, you don't go, I must be crap because I've only got 10 listeners. No, there are people who literally have a million listeners who are crap. (laughs) But what they did was they found the exact audience for them. Yeah. Right. The exact audience. So first of all, you've got to find your, you've got to find your best audience. Who are you speaking to and keep speaking to them? That way, even if you're crap, you'll get away with it. (laughs) Number two, get better, get better. I offer a training. It's called podcast superstar training. I train people how to be a guest on the show because here's the other thing you need to know about it. And this is where we started here. I've had so many guests who were terrible in the early days. So now I don't let them on. You have to go through the podcast training and I'll train you. And everybody comes out of that podcast training says to me, oh my God, I've had podcasts that go, now I know how to run my show. Or, oh my God, this is the best branding training I've ever had. It's an hour and it like blows their mind because it shows them how to show up on a show. So for me, I want to pre-interview because I want to find out if there's any personality there. I don't need you to agree with me. In fact, I don't care if you don't, if you disagree with me, as long as you can speak about it eloquently with it, with it, with emotion and passion, but without having to be right about everything. So, you know, I've had other people on who very often I know more about their subject than they do. And and I'm not being mean. It's just the way it is. Right. So it's like, that's why I have to do the pre-chat. I want to find out if that's going to work. So am I going to be able to create a great conversation with this person? I had a conversation with somebody this morning who wanted to be on my show. We had a pre-chat and I went, you know, it's just not going to work. And he said, why? And he said, I've been a speaker for 10 years. And I go, that's the problem. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, you want to speak for 15 minutes. This is a conversation. What is, what do you put in your pre-check? Just curious. Like, does that just look like you have a sample conversation? Is there anything in particular you look for when you're doing that? So we have an onboarding uh, set of stuff that they, so there's an initial, why do you want to be on the show? Blah, blah, blah. That's first of all. Uh, then, you know, if that, if they jump through those hoops uh, and they ask them, we ask them some specific questions, but it's pretty general. They book a a 20 minute combo with me. Um, they get scheduled in. They usually have to wait anywhere between a month and two months because you know what my, my schedule is like, uh, to get in. Then we have the conversation. Um, and I'm looking in that conversation with, uh, for a personality, do you have a personality or are you a wet dishcloth? Number one, okay. Yes, you do have a personality. Number two, what is your subject? So, you know, my subject is leadership. You know, everybody wants to be on my show. That's their subject. That's not a subject. That's, that's the top of the umbrella. So what? then the next point is, 
So they go, well, uh, yeah, it's leadership, but I'm talking particularly about culture. That's the next level down. Okay, we've well, had 20,000 people on, not literally, but but a lot of people on talking about culture. What is your point of differentiation? And if they don't know it, they don't get on the show. They just don't get on the show. So I want personality. I want expertise. And I want a point of differentiation. That has to be clear. And what's more is they have to have a freaking sense of humor. Because mm-hmm. you know me, I'm a goof, right? I joke around with them and I'll say things that I'm like, I'm going to poke and prod. Yeah. And if they can pl- play with that, then we're going to have a great show. Yes. And, the, and it's going to be enjoyable for people to listen to. Yeah. It's going to be interesting though. I'm looking forward to your new show to see when you poke and prod in these areas, which are kind of like top values and, you know, people feel almost like life or death about them, how they respond. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see and how you handle that. Be yeah, well, there's one of the shows that I pre-recorded right now uh, with with one of my guests, Jamie. And uh, two points in the show, I said, "Oh, welcome to the Jamie Show," <laughs> <laughs> because he completely flips it on me and asks me the same question as well, right? Yes. And that's with this show. That's okay. That's great because it's it's this really in-depth conversation. And you know, at one point, he turns around and he goes, "Yeah, you mentioned that at the beginning, the thing I mentioned," and he says. That makes me really uncomfortable. I actually want to back away from that question. He goes, so I know it's really important. And then we go into that. Interesting. But now what about cult of personalities in podcasting? Because obviously you've studied this. I know back when I was in school at Carnegie Mellon, they taught a lot about how Hitler took over with basically little incremental differences. You know, search signs on the buildings and then people being moved out. You know, it was just little bits that kind of added up over time to a complete shift that people didn't know. what do you think about cult of personalities in podcasting and media? Well, um, again, a cult of personality, let's take um, the guy, the orange fellow who lives in the big White House right now, right? Many people say that he's there as a cult of personality. Um, clearly, in my opinion, from a political strategy point of view, and I'm talking about this just as political strategy, not the brightest guy in the world, doesn't understand uh, foreign affairs, doesn't understand the... Uh, intelligence uh, community, all those kinds of things. Now, you can say that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. But <clears throat> the thing about cult of personality is you don't have to be good. This is what people don't understand. Uh, Hitler's economic pr- platform was terrible, terrible. But it didn't stop him from being, and he was elected. People forget that. Didn't stop him from being elected and taking power. Right? Yes, the brown shirts were the fascists who, who moved it forward, but he was elect- in an elected position because he tapped into a specific emotional issue. And this is what cult of personality is. See, whatever you think, you being the listener, think of Donald Trump. I'm going to tell you something. He is masterful at returning to the one thing, the one thing that everybody with a cult of personality does. And that is they have a clear enemy. Mm. And no matter what is said, they bring it back to their enemy. Now, they might have three. They might have four. But they'll only have those. And they don't, they don't, and everything else is talked about that. So there's the deep state and the Democratic Party. The reason this, this is a witch hunt because of the deep state and the Democratic Party. They're the enemy, right? Mm. You speak against him, it's part of the deep state, even though you were a Republican. That's the enemy. So, so people are, oh, well, what's the deep state? Talks about something nebulous that nobody can actually find out about. Oh, well, it's this, you know, it's this, ooh, this creepy thing, right? Brilliantly done. 
Absolutely brilliantly done. Immigrants, other enemies, started with Mexico. They're rapists. They don't send us our, their best people. Some of them are very fine people. I'm sure some of them are very fine people. <laughs> you do that really well. Good people on both sides. <laughs> so, so he picks the enemies. Yeah. And anytime you have a cult of personality, you are going to have somebody who is very clearly, you, you actually are not quite sure what they stand for, but you're absolutely certain what they stand against. That's the difference between a cult of personality and a great leader. A great leader is, here's what I'm for. Yes, I'm against X, Y, and Z. But more importantly than what I'm against is what I'm for. A cult of personality is what I'm against first. And I'm always going to bring the focus back to what I'm against. And that is actually, that is brilliant marketing, it is brilliant leadership, it is brilliant persuasion. It, it's something that we all need to learn how to use in a, in a, in a healthy, productive way. But if you look at Adolf Hitler, if you look at Donald Trump, if you look at um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, if you look at uh, Nelson Mandela, it doesn't matter whether these are people you put on the good side or on the bad side, they all knew how to do that. So that is what it is. When you look at a cult of personality, the person doesn't have to be good at it. Like I said, I don't think Trump's any good at foreign affairs. I don't think he's good at economics, evidently by his businesses going bankrupt several times, many times. But the point is that doesn't matter in a cult of personality. In a cult of personality, the number one most important thing is to know the enemy, state the enemy, and always bring it back to the enemy. This is, and therefore, it's not my fault. It's the enemy, and we need to rally round against the enemy. Gotcha. That makes and sense. if you saw the movie Independence Day, that president talked about that beautifully. Mm. He said, if, when the aliens come, now we must unify. Because there's the enemy. That's why that movie was so popular in the psyche of, of, of people. That's why it was so huge. Because you had a black fighter pilot. You know, back in the day, we didn't have that Will Smith was doing that. That was his first big money movie. And so there's a black guy who was the hero. What? Right? He's an intelligent hero. What? That's crazy. Because the, the enemy, and that's why it was brilliantly done, was off. It was out of space. It was those aliens where we could unitate. So this is the key. Cult of personality is know the enemy, always blame the enemy. Beautifully said. I love it. So I want to just do a few rapid fire questions because I know we're coming up against our time and I could talk sure. to you all day. So, <laughs> Thank you. So um, first question, what would be your number one multiplier that has really shifted your podcast for you in terms of its growth and success? Uh, video. Video. Okay. Specifically, what about video? Uh that I record in audio and video. We put it out as two separate items. So it's repurposed as video. Um, and we take video snippets and put those out to promote the show. Awesome. Um, people like video. Even if we take a 30 second or a minute audio and turn it into a video with text on the screen, people will follow that. That's a massive multiplier. That and spending money on and this is what, please, I talked about this when we were, when you and I were together in, at the event in San Diego a couple of mm -hmm. uh, years ago, and that is this. If you think that you're going to build a podcast organically, all of us with that. Um, I look forward to seeing you behind the, behind the supermarket digging in the trash can. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you're going to have to spend some money. You can build some momentum, and that's great, and you should, but you're probably going to have to spend some money. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It might be 10 bucks a week to start 
on Facebook ads, but just get people to know about the show. You got to do that. Yeah. And you do press releases and stuff too, which I think is fabulous. Press releases. You know, if we've got a big, a big profile person, we do a press release. We do, we do media, we do everything we can. Awesome. And if you could leave the listener today with one piece of advice on their podcasting journey, what would it be? Get better. It's really that it's get better. So you cannot afford complacency. So my number one education in leadership is the same education I give people in everything. It's the way I sign off every single show. You know it. And it's part of the name of my second show, Curiosity. Stay curious, my friend. Stay curious. What does that mean? Stop thinking there's a there. There is no there. So how can I get better at this? What can I do? Every now and then, I, I sat with a friend of mine the other day, and he said to me, like, this guy is a rock, rock star at what he does. And, I, and he loves my material. Right, But he's also a really good friend, meaning he'll tell me the truth. And he said, you know, I love your videos. He goes, your videos rock. And he goes, you put out those two, four, five-minute videos on LinkedIn. I love them. And I said, thanks, mate. Appreciate that. And he goes, but I have one thing I don't like. And I said, what's that? And he tells me. I said, that's interesting. I've been thinking about that. Talked to my marketing person about that. That's come up more than once. That's changing now. That's awesome. The next two videos I put out, you know, I've done two since the next two videos I put out were changed in the way it wrote some, I said, please go check these out. Tell me what you think. Now I'm more popular than he is, but I'm doesn't, it doesn't mean that I have to not listen to him. It was great advice. He came back. He goes, wow. He said, I stayed right to the very end. I didn't drop out of that place where I usually drop out. He goes, that was great. Fabulous. Now I watch the numbers on those two videos and guess what? They've done about 10% better than the other videos. Because you're getting better every time. Just well, because, I'm, because I'm willing yes. to be curious about how I can be better. And, and, you know, you can see I'm a very confident personality, but that doesn't mean arrogance. It means be open, learn, listen. How can I get this better? Every day, I, I'm asking my wife every day, how can I be a better husband? I love that. We've been married 21 years. I'm more in love with it than it was the day I met her. We just had our anniversary, went away. And one of the things we spent probably seven hours talking about was how can we be better for each other? How can we support each other better? How can we be a better marriage? And people look at us and go, what's the model? You know, you guys have got a great... We, we're not there. The minute we go there, we're already on the path to a divorce. That's our thinking. So the minute you go, oh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the king of podcasting or the queen of podcasting, you're dead in the water. Pack up your things and go hang behind the garbage cans. I totally agree with you. I think it's important to keep getting better. And you guys have an extraordinary marriage, I just have to say. So, well, thank you. But that, again, <laughs> I, I that's a commitment to work. Yeah, I no, I know. I know. I love how you love her. I've gotten to listen to you talk about her. It's so inspiring and beautiful to listen to you talk about your wife. And so if the listener today would like to get more of you and your shows and everything, where would they go? The easiest place is to go to fullmontyleadership.com, which is my main website. There you can find out about the podcast leadership and loyalty but you can go on youtube dove baron full monty leadership there's 700 plus videos on there including many of the shows that are video as well um you can find me on linkedin you can find me on facebook on twitter on instagram and all those kinds of places um and bottom line is if you want to reach out to me here's my personal email address yes i'm a lunatic Love it's that. dove d-o-v at 
D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N. And I encourage you as a podcaster, write to me, tell me what you got out of this show, write to Debbie, tell her what you got out of this show. Cause you and I talked about this last time I was on your other show, which is, you know, podcasting is a pretty thankless thing. And you probably know that if you're podcasting is that you're kind of putting this, this stuff out in the world and you're going, Oh, I hope people like it. So ask people to tell you. And if you don't want them to tell you, you should probably pack it up because you're too afraid anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they're going to say, I think you suck. Right? <laughs> Somebody wrote on one of my, on one of my videos uh, on, on uh, YouTube last week, I think you suck. Oh my God, this is a terrible way to teach. And I said, thank you for taking the time to write. <laughs> <laughs> you handle haters very well. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Dom. So, um, so listen, guys, if you're listening, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Dom, I truly love any time we get together, we get time to talk. You have so many perspectives that are so deep in so many places. So if you get a chance to listen to his new show or his current show, please check it out. You're going to love it. And um, so thanks again for joining us today. Uh, it is definitely your time to podcast on purpose. Thank you. there. Have you been wanting to start your own podcast, but not been sure what type of equipment to use? Well, I got you covered. If you'd like to get a free podcast studio equipment recommendations guide, you can go to podcastingonpurpose.com. Thanks so much for joining in the conversation today. We will see you next time on Podcast on Purpose. 